0: Welcome to the STSA Church Podcast. Each week, we discuss relevant, thought-provoking topics that challenge us to understand our faith more personally and engage in it more practically. We aim to communicate the depth and riches of our ancient faith in simple and understandable ways that are relatable to the modern world. All right, good morning to everyone, and welcome to The Well here at STSA, where we are in part two of a series called That They May Be one that they may be one one. the goal of this series is to talk about jesus's final prayer jesus's final prayer that he uttered the night before jesus's final prayer that he uttered the night before he gave up his life where he stood in the garden of gethsemane and he after three years of miracles three years of teachings three years of everything that he could pour out into his disciples and finally he summed it all up and said father i have one prayer one prayer that these people would be one he did not pray that they would be pure. He did not pray that they would be patient. He did not pray that they would be early to church, even though God knows that's important to do. He prayed above all else, his dying wish was our unity. Now parents, okay, parents of multiple children, I have two children, this makes sense. This makes sense to me. Because I remember when, when we would first like leave our kids at home alone. Okay, uh, tata, Grandma was right there, so we wouldn't tell her we'd leave the kids home alone because she was not happy with it. But we started to leave them alone from a young age, and we just told them, okay, you know, whatever you do, sit on the couch, don't fight. We said, we don't care what you do as we leave you, just don't fight, we don't care. Watch TV the whole time, we don't care. Uh, uh, steal my change from my, from, my, from my desk, I don't care. Do whatever it is that you want to do, just don't fight with each other. Now all the other stuff I care about when I come home, and we'll settle that, But the important thing is that while we're gone, don't fight. Don't fight. Why? Because we as parents know what all parents know is that it's dangerous to be alone. It's dangerous to be without your parents. So the most important thing is that you guys got to be together. You got to protect each other. You need each other at this time more than ever. Yeah, when dad's home, then we can talk about whatever it is because dad's home. But when dad's not there, you need each other protect each other, support each other. And that's what God says the same to us right now, is that we here in this world right now, it's dangerous. It's dangerous out there in the world. We need one another. We are better together when we can support each other. When you're down and I'm up, I can support you. And then when I'm down and you're up, you can support me. We can encourage each other. We can speak truth to each other and love, of course, but we can speak truth to each other. God knows that we are better together. That's why our unity matters. And that's why our key thought for this series, we talked about this last week, let's read it all together, STSA family, all together. We don't just accept one another, we need one another. We don't just put up with differences, we embrace them. That's our key thought for this series is, is that differences aren't like, okay, I guess it just has to be some people are different. No, 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 no. We don't just accept it, we need it. We embrace it. We don't just put up with differences, we embrace it. We talked about last week, for those who weren't here, that red leaf, okay, that beautiful red leaf in the forest, The red leaf is thankful that it has brown leaves next to it and yellow leaves next to it because a forest of just red leaves, as much as the red leaf is beautiful and powerful and strong and can beat up the other leaves, the red leaf needs the other leaves around it. So we don't just accept the other leaves, we embrace it. Okay, we need those other leaves. Talked about salads with onions. I said I love onions more than anybody. But can you imagine a salad of just onions? Like, uh, just to, uh, no, the salad needs the broccoli. Well, maybe not the broccoli. The salad needs the lettuce, let's say, and the spinach, okay? And those radish little guys, okay? And the, the pickles and whatever it may be that needs those things. The music team up here, if you had a violin, a violin is beautiful, but you can't have a band of just violins. You might as well just be scratching the chalkboard with your nails if that's all it was. We don't just accept differences. We don't just put up with differences. We embrace them. That's what this series is all about because church family agree with me on this. The beauty of us is not our sameness. Like as I'm standing here and I'm looking out, the beauty of this is not the sameness. The beauty of this is the differentness. The beauty of this is that we all come from different places. We have different backgrounds. We may speak different languages. may have raised differently. We may raise our kids differently. We may think differently about different topics. The beauty is that all those differences come together and unite. Under one master and one king and one Lord. Our beauty is not in our sameness. Our beauty is in our differentness. Because God went out of his way to create us different. We're different physically. Just look around. No two people look the same. We're different personality-wise, temperament-wise. We did the series about the colors. Remember that? We're different in the way that we relate to him. No two people have the same relationship with him. We're different in things that are, we're passionate about. And what I believe, and I really, really, really hope you believe this too, is that's not by accident, that's by design. God put people in this church who are passionate about different things and the church not only is big enough for all of them, but the church needs every one of them. Like you would agree with me, I'm a member of this church. Okay, as much as Father Timothy said a place would be fine without me, I believe that I make a difference when I'm here, okay? I believe that my presence makes a difference. Would you agree with that? Well, I believe the same about your presence. I believe that each one of us Okay, every one of us, no no one is bigger than anyone else. That's what he meant. I'm just giving him a hard time, okay? That's the, the, none of us is bigger than anyone else, that if I'm not here doing my thing, then the church is lacking something. And I believe the same about you. If you're not here, the church is lacking. And I believe about the person that God's gonna send. He wants him part of this church family as well. Because it's not by accident that we're different. The church and the world needs all of it. Ephesians chapter two, verse 10 says, for we are his workmanship. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. My question to you, the workmanship of God, can you accept it or not accept it? God created someone different than you and says, that's my workmanship. Do you say return to sender? Do you say uh, 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 I need a return on this one right here? This one doesn't work. This one doesn't think the right way, Lord. This girl doesn't think the way I think. She's wrong. Send her back. That one had no idea what she's talking about. That one speaks the wrong language. That one raises his kids wrong. That one's view of public policy and health. They're crazy. Send them back. No. God created us differently. And it's not by accident. Can you see, church family, that someone different from you can add just as much value to the kingdom of God as you can? That's a tough one. Can you see? You know you add value. You know that you're an important person and you know that the way you bring something But can you see that someone who is different than you can also bring value? Not just to the kingdom, not just to the church small, but the church large and the kingdom overall. Or are you stuck on my way is the only way. Only way to be part of any values agree with me. Only way that you can do something for the kingdom of God is think the way I think and talk the way I talk and do things the way I do. And that, ladies and gentlemen, leads us to our key thought for today our key thought for today. But before I say today's key thought, let me tell you right off the bat, I'm gonna give you a warning. I'm gonna put it up here on the screen. I'm gonna say it, and then I'm probably gonna duck for cover because it's gonna make some people uncomfortable. Today's message is gonna make some people uncomfortable, especially if you've been going to church for a long time. The longer you've been at church, the more uncomfortable you're going to be with what I'm gonna say, especially if you're a black and white, truth is truth, my way or the highway kind of a guy. You're gonna be uncomfortable with what I'm about to say. But we agreed last week for those who were here last week that unity is uncomfortable last week for those who weren't here we talked about peter when he went to the gentiles peter who was raised jewish raised that gentiles are pigs and dogs never touch them never eat with them never go near them god said no i need you to go i need you to go have a meal with them i need you to go share with them and what god has called cleanse you must not call common it was uncomfortable for peter to eat with gentiles but that was a necessity It was uncomfortable for the church to accept the Gentiles, but that was a necessity. Well, I believe that unity is uncomfortable, but my question to you is, how uncomfortable are you willing to be to answer Jesus's prayer? How uncomfortable are you willing to be? Jesus made people uncomfortable all the time. Jesus saw people who were, the word I said at one time, that Jesus would move towards the mess. Okay, actually, we read it in today's, in today's gospel. There was a woman who was a mess, that sinful woman in Luke chapter 7. She was a mess. The Samaritan woman was a mess. Zacchaeus was a mess. The adulterous woman was a mess. And Jesus, when he saw the mess, what did he do? He didn't turn his back and say, get that fixed. Clean that up. He didn't tell the disciples, clean up on aisle six. Okay, and then let me know when it's ready. Jesus went into the mess. And everyone was like, don't do that. Don't go in there. It's messy. And Jesus got in there. He got in the mess. And in fact, Jesus created mess sometimes, but that's... Not neither here nor there. Are we, church, willing to go into the mess? Or we say, it's not worth it. That mess isn't worth it. Which, in essence, we're saying that person's not worth it. Because what I feel sometimes, again, I'm not saying anyone, not judging, but I'm just saying at large, sometimes we as the church, we as Christians, what we say is, my mess is okay. But your mess is too much. So if it's my mess... Yes, the church should be there for my mess. Church should embrace my mess. And my children's mess. Yes, take care of their mess too. But my neighbor's mess, that's too much. We got, we got enough mess here, Father. Like how much mess can we have? We, gotta take, like, we got enough here. We got to take care of ourselves. We got our children. We got the next generation. So we don't have room for that person's baggage and their mess. How uncomfortable are you willing to get to answer Jesus' prayer? Here's our key thought. Y'all ready? Get the tomatoes ready. Our key thought. Just because there are many wrong ways doesn't mean there's only one right way. Just because there are many wrong ways doesn't mean there's only one right way. Let's start easy, okay, because this is a tough one. Let's start easy. Marriage having a successful marriage, are there wrong ways to do it? Yes, many. Cheating on your spouse is wrong. Stealing their money is wrong. Uh, Talking trash about them behind their back, like there's many wrong ways. But is there only one right way? Like some would say, like loving your wife or your husband. That's the right way, but is there only one way to show love? Is there only way to express love in marriage? Like I would say like words can express love, but so can flowers. So can a date night. Probably wouldn't hurt you to clip those nose hairs every now and then. There's many ways that you can show your wife that you love her. And what I would say, married people agree with me, that sometimes the right way to show love today is the wrong way tomorrow. Would you agree with that? Like when you get on autopilot, guys, okay, I tried this one out here, okay? It's like, the, like the, 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 the I love you, the standard I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you, without any thought, right? Like that's the right way at a time, but at some point in time, there needs to be something more to the conversation than just, hey, how's it going? Love you. That, like there's got to be more to it. So sometimes the right way can become the wrong way, and the wrong way can become the right way. Because just because there's one, many wrong ways doesn't mean there's one right way. Y'all with me? Parenting. There are many wrong ways to raise your children. You don't need to talk about that but is there only one right way. Like, should I tell my kid to be into sports or into music? What's the right way? Should I encourage my children to uh, not encourage my, should, should I give my children a phone at age 10 or 11 or 12? Like, what's the right way? Like, we have to agree. The right age to give your children a phone is whatever. We, the most important question every parent must answer what career should I tell my child to be, a doctor or an engineer? Like this is a very important question, okay? Those are the two options here, right? There's no other options. Just because there are many wrong ways to raise your children doesn't mean there's only one right way. College, I have a son in college right now. Think back to your college experience. College, there are many ways to do it wrong. Many ways to do it wrong. And some of us, okay, may have been on like the 12 year plan, okay, in college, may have experienced that, lived that wrong way themselves. But is there only one right way? Like some people go to class, take notes, and that's great. I found a shh, shortcut around. I signed up for classes where you didn't do it, but you didn't have to pay attention to the class. It was just project-based. So I just kind of coasted through, them. then I just did the project at the end and crammed or whatever it was. And I, hey, I got a degree and you got a degree. We all ended up in the same place. Well, I ended up in a different place, but you know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> just because there are many wrong ways doesn't mean there's only one right way. Church. This makes you feel uncomfortable, especially us Orthodox, because Orthodoxy is all about that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong, wrong. this is right. And there can only be one right way and there's no room for discussion on it. Stick with me right here. Maybe if you think that way, maybe you are confusing two concepts. You may be confusing unity with uniformity. Unity is not the same as uniformity. Unity is good. And some of us think that in order to be united, we must be uniform. That's where I'm going to do some pushback. Before I give the example, what I'm not saying, I'm not saying the truth doesn't matter and everyone can just believe whatever it is that they want. I'm not saying like every man for himself, free for all, couldn't be the opposite. Those who know me know I'm the exact opposite. I'm a Sirach 4 kind of a guy. Fight to the death for truth and Lord God will fight for you. That's who I am. But what I'm saying is that we can believe the same and we can be united in the foundational concepts and the beliefs and the faith, but we can practice it slightly differently. It doesn't need to look exactly the same way. And I'll give you an example. When I was first ordained as a priest, many years ago, the world was a different place. And one of the things that you may notice is about me is as I speak and preach, I tend to get a little excited and animated. Okay, and I tend to move around or whatever it may be. And I would, when I first started preaching, okay, I would start, okay, and I would, you know, maybe walk a little bit and take a little bit of a tour and visit the people on the right and visit the people on. And I, that, that's just my nature, okay? Like you would not even see me at home. I can't talk on the phone without pacing back and forth. Like that's just how I am. Like if I talk, I have to be like this, moving all around. So I became, a, I got ordained as a priest and I started preaching and I started walking around. Someone said, you can't do that. I said, oh, I can't do that. Why? said, because it's not orthodox. I said, really? <laughs> and, I'm, and I wasn't being funny. I was like, oh, I didn't know that. So there is, This sounds funny. I, I promised I wasn't being funny. There's an orthodox way to stand. There's an orthodox way to stand. There's a right way to stand and a wrong way to stand. And I was told. And I'm, I'm dead serious. Not by, I was told by people, but I didn't listen. But I was told by people, hierarchy people, <laughs> not to do that. They said, that's, 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 that's not orthodox. I'm not joking. So what I would do. Okay, when I was, Especially when I go to conferences, not at the church, but when I would go to like, conferences and have a stage, they would tape a box, okay? I'm not joking. I'd have a tape, a box like this, and I'd be sitting here preaching, and I'd get near and I'd be like, whoa. <laughs> and that's the way I was. And the, 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 the person who told me that, or the clergyman who told me that was at a conference with me, and he saw me doing that. And he saw the ridiculous lengths I was going to. I didn't care what I was, I didn't know if I was saying heresy, but as long as I didn't go outside that box, And he afterwards told me, he said, you know what? Forget about that. Forget about that. And he realized that unity is not the same as uniformity. That what's more important than whether I step outside the box is what comes out of my mouth, that what I'm saying. So we need to be united on what I'm saying. And if I happen to move a little bit to the left or right or juke it, whatever it may be, that's okay. And that's a silly example. But that's my point, is there are some things If I said something that's against our unity, yes, you stand up and you say that's against our unity. But if we believe the same and we be united in the same, but we don't always look the same, we don't always talk the same, we don't practice the same, that's where we need the discernment to know the difference between the two. Psalm 133 verse 1 says, How good and pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. It's okay for us to be different. It's okay for us not to be uniform, but what we need to do what is good and pleasant is not that we're the same, but that we are united. So here's what we're gonna do today. Since we agree on the concept that just because there are many wrong ways doesn't mean there's only one right way. Just because there are many wrong ways doesn't mean there's only one right way. We're gonna look at some examples from church history of some people who were not uniform at all and some examples of not uniformity. We're gonna go back to the very, 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 very beginning. Not uniform, but united. And we see how God works when there's unity, even if there's not uniformity. We're gonna go right to the top of the org chart. Who is at the top? Well, of course, you have Jesus at the top of the org chart, then you got St. Mary. Leave Jesus and Mary aside. Who's at the top of the org chart when it comes to the Orthodox tradition and history and our church? Who sits at the top? Who sits, when you get to the judgment throne, who's gonna sit next to Christ on seats next to him on the judgment throne? Not John the Baptist. The 12 apostles. The 12 apostles, they're at the top. Let's talk a little bit about the 12 apostles. They're the most important figures in our church history. And unfortunately, even though they're a big deal, we know very little about them. Like, let's do this right now. Who thinks they can name all 12 of the apostles? Name them. Let's go shout them out. How many of you know? Shout it out. Who knows one? Shout them out. Yell. just yell. I'm not ready. hands. yell it out. John, Matthew, Andrew, Thomas, Bartholomew. Ooh, Thaddeus, okay? Very good. We're struggling here. Paul? Paul was not one of the twelve. Jude, very good. How many? Okay, enough for the yelling. Okay, this is this is not the strongest showing right here, okay? Most of us. Okay, especially maybe you've been watching The Chosen, okay, that, 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 that YouTube series or Netflix series, whatever it is about them. So maybe you know some of them. But these guys are really, really, really important. And I think it's sad, not sad, but it's unfortunate that we know very, very little about them. Because when you know about these guys, and like I said, they're going to sit on 12 thrones of judgment next to the king on the final day. We need to know their names and we need to know a little about their lives. And what you're going to see is that these guys were not uniform at all. You could not big, pick a 12 different characters. They were ragtag bunch, like they were the bad news bears at times. But they were united. And because they were united, even though they weren't uniform, God did great things through them. I'm gonna help you memorize who the 12 apostles are. You're gonna take them in three groups, just three groups. Anytime the Bible says the name of the 12, it always gives them in, 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 in a, it doesn't give them the same order from one to 12. But the first four all was the first four, the middle four all was the middle four, and then the third four all was the third four. So here's the first four, and sometimes the order changes within these first four, but these are always the first four. These are the middle four, order may change, but they're always the middle four, and the same with the third four. Does that make sense? Okay, so let's go with the first four. The first four are the easiest of them all. Everyone should know these. These are Peter, Andrew, James, and John. They are who? Peter, Andrew, James, and John. These are two sets of brothers. Their occupation was all what? They were all fishermen. These are the most famous. Really, Peter, James, and John, Okay, the most famous, but Andrew was actually the key to them all, because Andrew was actually the first one, and Andrew was the brother of Peter. So Andrew was the first one to follow, then he went and got Peter, and then soon after, James and John came alongside. They were all fishermen, as I said. They were all disciples of John the Baptist. James and John were the sons of Zebedee. That's important, because we're going to see another James who was the son of Alphaeus, okay? Some of the names are common. So Peter, James, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. John was unique because John was the only one that two things didn't happen to John. He wasn't married, and he wasn't martyred. You can say if there's a correlation between the two on your own, okay? I'm just saying the facts, okay? I'm just saying the facts, okay? Peter, Andrew, James, and John. That's the first group. Everyone should know those. Now, the next four, first we'll start with Philip because Philip was the one that Jesus went to him and said, follow me. And then when Jesus went to Philip and said, "Follow me," Philip then went and found his buddy, and his buddy was Nathaniel. But Nathaniel, you don't see him up there. Why don't you see? Say, why don't you see an icon that says Nathaniel? Because you see Bartholomew. Is his name Nathaniel or Bartholomew? Sometimes in the Bible they had they had multiple names like this. Okay, but understand, Nathaniel was his name. Bartholomew comes from the word Bar, Tolomai. What does Bar mean? Son of. Okay, Bar, son of Ptolemy. Ptolemy was his father. Okay, so his name was Nathaniel, but Bartholomew was the Americanized version of bar Tolomai, son of. Like you know how there's some people whose name today is, is like Josephson or, 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 uh, or Thompson. Most likely at some point, they had a father named Joseph and they just started to be called Joseph sin. Okay. So that's what this is. So Nathaniel is the same as Bartholomew Thomas. Everybody knows him. He was the one who doubted Okay, very famously. And then you got Matthew and Matthew was a tax collector. Tax collector means he was basically a traitor to his nation. He worked for the bad guys, but he kept taxes. So he was very good. What skill did Matthew probably have really, really good. He probably had ma- record keeping. Okay. So you see how there's certain skills that like you had some fishermen who would probably be good at capturing. You had some people who were good at at record keeping who would probably be good at documenting things. OK, you see how this works. So that's the next group. You got Philip, Nathaniel, Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew. The last four gets a little complicated because all of their names are kind of double names right here. So first you have another James and this James, like I said, is the son of Alphaeus. He's also called James the Less. The other James, the son of Zebedee, is called James the Great. James the Less versus James the Great. Basically, what the church was saying is James the Great, it's not not like putting the other one down, but he was like more important, okay, history-wise. Okay, he had a greater role. So he has, over historically, ended up being called James the Great. This is called James the Less, okay? But he probably had good self-esteem, so he's fine anyway. (laughs) This is, the next one is Simon but this is different than Simon who was Peter. Peter was Simon Peter. This is a different Simon. This Simon was a zealot. Zealot meant what? Just didn't just mean he was very excited, like rah, rah, sis, kind of a guy. It meant he was part of a political party that tried to overthrow the government. He was an anarchist. So you had Matthew who was pro-government. You had Simon who was anti-government. And what did Jesus do? He said, you don't need to be uniform, but you need to be united. You need to be in the same group. And probably Matthew's views on, po- on politics was very different than Simon's. Probably Simon wanted to kill Matthew. But Jesus said, in here you play nice. No fighting, okay? You can disagree. Just because there's many wrong ways doesn't mean there's only one right way. You can maintain your political beliefs and still be part of us. You can maintain yours and be part of us because in the end, none of those really matter. What matters is what we're doing here together. Jesus was big enough to incorporate them all. That's Simon." Uh, The next one, this guy's a real tough one. He's got three names. Okay, what he's been common, like you see in the icon, it says Jude. So he can call him Jude, you can call him Thaddeus, you can call him Labaius. None of those are his real name. His real name is what? Judas. But because obviously Judas is not a great name history-wise, so that's why we shortened it to Jude. Or we call him Thaddeus or Labaius was probably his father's name. Actually, one of our saints, St. Jerome, refers to this this Jude and he calls, he gives him the title Trinomius, Trinomius, which sounds like what? What do you think Trinomius means? The one of three names, okay? Because his real name was Judas, but again, didn't go well with the first Judas, so let's not say that name ever again. And then the last one is Matthias, and Matthias was obviously the one who replaced Judas Iscariot, okay, who betrayed Jesus Christ. So Matthias, the other guys with Jesus from the start, Matthias kind of joined late. We don't know much about him, but he was most likely a lawyer, someone who studied the law from a very young age. Bottom line, those are the 12 guys. They changed the world. We owe everything to these guys. One biblical commentator named John MacArthur says about them, they were a microcosm of the church they would begin, each unique, but each having his own special place and work. Just because there's many wrong ways to be an apostle... Judas Iscariot. Doesn't mean there's only one right way. Some were rich. Some were poor. Some were educated. Some were uneducated. Like I said, some had this political belief. Some had this political belief. And the word, you even get a more diversity. If you expand beyond the 12, you get all of Jesus' followers. There you had slaves and free. You had people who had studied the law. People who had never heard of the law. You have people who are married, people who are celibate. You had prostitutes, you had eunuchs. Like, again, like I said, it was the most diverse group on the planet. But all united around their belief in Christ. How about today? How about today? The church back then was big enough to accommodate all the different. Is the church big enough today? You know, one of the things that we say here at STSA is that every Sunday is someone's first Sunday. You know that, right? Every Sunday is someone's first Sunday. Every Sunday is someone's first Sunday. Every Sunday, someone is showing up, and I'll give you some examples. And I know this, I'm giving you real examples that I've heard. Someone is showing up today, and they've said to themselves, I don't believe, I hate church, I hate God, but I'll give them one more chance. And they're showing up today. Are we big enough to accommodate them, yes or no? Someone is showing up today who's really struggling with their faith, really struggling and they're on shaky ground. They believe from when they were young, but that faith has been shaken, and it's like hanging by a thread. And here they are today, and they're a mess. They're an absolute mess. Are we big enough to accommodate them? There are some people today who need a lot of help from God, a lot of help from God. But you know there's some people here today who are on the opposite end, who are ready to jump in and be the helper from God. I believe the church is big enough for every single one of them. I believe that God's arms are big enough for every single person. It's not just people coming from different spiritual states, skill sets. Okay, one of the things that we say, okay, Father Timothy spoke about volunteers, is big, important here for us in this church. One of the things that we say when we talk about volunteers, we talk about teams. We don't talk about ministries. Like, I don't like the word ministry as much as I like teams. Like, I don't like the AV ministry. I like the AV team. I don't like the music ministry. I like music team. You know why? Because ministry to me just sounds like meetings. That's what I think ministry, I think meetings. Okay, we have to have meetings, why? Because we're ministries, we have to have meetings. We have to have a standing meeting because that's what ministries do. Teams sounds like people who are like, okay, huddle up. What are we going to accomplish? We got a goal. Okay, you go left, you go right, you block the big guy in the front, I'll drop back and throw it, you catch it. Teams means everyone has a different role. We all need to be work like everyone knows. We have to be working together. If you don't do your job, then I can't do my job. Like I stand up here and I'm doing a great job here, but I wouldn't be doing very good unless the people in the back, do what they need to be doing. And the people who were before me, and the people who set up these, and the people who are over there, and the people who's going to clean up the mess after. Like everyone knows that teams means everyone plays a small part in a big project or a big goal. And that's the only way to win. First Corinthians chapter three, verse six through eight. St. Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. Said another way, just because there are many wrong ways, doesn't mean there's only one right way. That's the 12 apostles. The next example of unity without uniformity, and this one's going to get really messy, we're going to talk about the early church. And when I say the early church, I mean the church in kind of that second, third, fourth century. Okay, for those who don't know, the church didn't just go from the book of Acts to 2023. Okay, kind of like fast forward like that. There was a period in between right there. And during that time, let me say it this way. Just because there are many wrong ways to practice Christianity, what we see in the first centuries of Christianity, just because there's many wrong ways doesn't mean there's only one right way. In other words, I'm saying that you could have two people in two different churches who have the same belief, exact same belief, but you couldn't recognize the practice between one and the other. And we see that very, very clearly in the early church. We're gonna go back to the very beginning where all this started. We're gonna go to Acts chapter six. Acts chapter six is when the first time That up until this point, Christianity was basically homogenous. Christianity was people who were Jewish, believed in Christ, and all Christianity was Jews becoming Christian. That's what it all looked like up until Acts 6. And then the first problem in the church appears, and the first problem that is documented in the scripture is not a problem of logistics. It's not a financial problem. It's not a problem with two members fighting with each other. It's a cultural problem. It's a diversity problem. It's a unity without uniformity problem. Pick it up here, Acts chapter 6, verse 1. It says, Now in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists, because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. There was a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists. Who are the Hebrews? Who are the Hellenists? Both are the Christians. Okay, so he's talking about within the church, all the Christians you had a group of Hebrews and you had a group of Hellenists. Hebrews meant they were Jewish from the start. They were ethnically Jewish, culturally Jewish, raised Jewish the whole time and then became Christian. Hellenist meant that they were Jewish, but then they had immigrated to foreign lands. So now they've kind of picked up other cultures along the way. So you can liken this to probably many of us here in this room. Maybe our parents were immigrants. Okay, from whether Ethiopia or or Egypt or wherever it may be. So maybe you would be like the Hellenists. So you would be, when, when you go back to your homeland, they would look at you as like, oh, the Americans. Oh, the Americans. Okay, the big bad Americans. Okay, whereas they were the ones who stayed in the homeland. Okay, who stayed in the motherland, and you were the fancy pants Americans. So what happened is there was a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists that they're not giving food to our widows. And this was not, this was not a normal, this was not an administrative problem. This was a cultural problem. This was a problem. And you know how we know? Because how did they solve it? You go down a couple verses. In verse five, the, the disciples solved it by they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. They ordained seven deacons to solve the problem. This shows us that the problem was cultural. Why? If anyone's here into linguistics, or likes to study languages, you'll notice something about those seven names. What do they sound like? Do they sound like Hebrew names? There was no Bartholomews there. There was no Peters there. Those are all Greek names. So in essence, this is what this is saying, okay? So you had a problem. Okay, let's let's think of some you know, uh, let's go, Can uh, okay, we got uh, Ethiopian names, let's go, uh, you had uh, Bethlehem, and then you had um, uh, Neb, and then you had, and then they solved the problem by ordaining, um, you know, uh, Jeffrey, okay, and let's think of the most American names we can think of, and um, um, Bob, yeah, okay, okay, they ordained Bob, okay, and they ordained, give me another American name, Jason, well, Jason, well, could go this way, but you know what I'm saying, okay? Uh, um, uh, what? Ethan, okay, something like that, like the most non-ethnic names. So what that means is they knew that there was a problem. It was a cultural problem. So what they did is they said, okay, we have a cultural problem, so we solve it by showing that unity doesn't require uniformity, that the church is big enough for this culture and this culture. And that's where... Okay. The Catholicity of the church, maybe you've heard this term before the Catholicity of the church. We talk about this in membership group, that the church is Catholic, which means it is universal across time, space, and culture means that there's no such thing as this era was better than this era. Like we live in the the stinky era, but the real stuff was back. No, every era is full of the fullness of him who fills all in all. There's no such thing across space. Like that homeland is better than this land. No such thing as a church in Japan is same as a church in Mexico. It's church on the moon. Doesn't matter. And same across culture and language and all those different things. So from this time, the church said that we don't need to be uniform to be united. And the church started to spread. And did you know that during this time, the church started to go all over the world? And there was kind of like five main hubs of Christianity. Who knows what the five main hubs of Christianity? We're doing a, a, a fun day today. There was five main hubs in the first few centuries. Alexandria, Egypt. Antioch. Rome. Jerusalem. Constantinople and that one was kind of added a little bit later. So Constantinople. So these were like the hubs of Christianity Where there was like the the patriarch of Constantinople and they had their language and their customs and their whatever Then you had the people in rome doing their thing and they had a little bit slightly different And then you had the people in egypt and people in jerusalem, etc And did you know that when the church during this time was united and strong and there was no division It was very different in so many different things for example one time, one of the great saints in our church, okay, our patron saint, St. Athanasius, who was the patriarch of the church of Alexandria. He was the head. He was sent to Rome in exile. And when he was in Rome, the church in Rome looked very different than the church in Alexandria. They spoke a different language. They had a different calendar. Their, like, everything was completely different. So what did he do? If it was today, like, this is the Patriarch. If it was today and he was sent there and he's from here, you know what he would do today? He'd start a Coptic church right here. <laughs> He'd start his own church, doing it his way. That's not what he did. You know what he did? He went to the Roman church and he practiced their practices, even though it was foreign to him. He is the patriarch. He fasted their fast. He did it according to their schedule. He spoke their language. He learned how to be united, even though it wasn't uniform, what he grew up with. Another story. St. Augustine, one time was in Rome, similar situation. Augustine was in Rome, listen to this. And it was from his, okay, he was from, where was he from? Yeah, so he was from uh, North Africa. So from where he was from, it was a fasting day. But he traveled to Rome where the church in Rome was not a fasting day. They had different like, rules for fasting. Okay, they used to fast on Saturdays, they didn't fast on Saturdays. And he asked his spiritual father, Ambrose, He said, what do I do? Do I fast or not fast? Ambrose said the following, quote, he's speaking about, Ambrose speaking about himself. When I am here in Milan, I do not fast on Saturday. But when in Rome, I do fast on Saturday. And do you know, that is where the expression, when in Rome, do as the Romans do, came from St. Ambrose. You didn't know that. Usually we use it in a negative way, like, oh, when in Rome, you know what I mean? Like, that's not what it was meant to be. It was meant to be that, yes, we have our way and we love our way. But when in Rome, we do as the Romans do. So if they're fasting, we fast. If they're not fasting, we don't fast. I remember one time I, I, I read this and I learned this and then I was going to speak at a, at a conference of another Orthodox church that has a different fast than us. And they had just finished their Christmas fast because they celebrate on December 25th. And I was speaking December 28, 29 and thirty. So I'm like, oh, this is great, because we're still fasting, but they're not. I'm like, oh, when in Rome, do as the Romans. So I get to that place, and I'm like, let's go, let's go. When's lunch, lunch, when's lunch? Gotta do as the Romans do. Then as soon as I get there, they're like, we've accommodated your fasting schedule. I'm like, oh, that's, that's great. That's really great. Another example, in the second century, okay, back then people didn't communicate the way we communicate and everything wasn't standardized. Again, unity without uniformity they didn't all celebrate Easter on the same day. They had different Easters. And there were some churches that would celebrate Easter on the certain day, regardless of what day it fell on in the week. Meaning, okay, I I think it was like the 16th of Nissan or maybe the 17th of Nissan, which is the day Easter actually happened. They celebrate on that day and it could be a Thursday one year, could be a Tuesday one year. And there were other churches that celebrated on the Sunday that's either before or after, like they said it to always be on a Sunday. Well, did you know that one of the patriarchs during that time was so heated on this that nobody better celebrate except on the right day. He wanted, look here, we're going to read. This is an excerpt from a history book by St. Eusebius, okay, who documented Christian history. He says this, the Bishop of Rome, his name was Victor, attempted to cut off from the common unity all the Asian dioceses together with neighboring churches on the ground of heterodoxy, meaning heresy, they were not orthodox, and pilloried them in letters in which he announced the total excommunication of all his fellow Christians there. Why? Because they don't celebrate Easter the right day. But this was not to the taste of all the bishops. They replied with a request that he would turn his mind, listen carefully, to the things that make for peace and for unity and love towards his neighbors. Again, the things that make for peace and for unity And love towards his neighbors. In other words, just because there's many wrong ways to celebrate Easter doesn't mean there's only one right way. And obviously this is important today. As you have people celebrating in different ways, you have celebrating on different days, but that's not, our unity is not based on that. So let's go to today. What would you say today? Unity without uniformity. What would you say today? If I told you there's a church out there that in their Bible they don't believe in the book of Revelation. What would you say about them? Heretics, throw them out, hang the millstone and throw them off the deep end of the boat. You know what I'd say about them? I'd say they're our brothers and sisters in the Syriac Orthodox Church. Because the Syriac Orthodox Church doesn't have a revelation in their Bible. They also, by the way, don't have some of the minor Catholic epistles. They don't have 2 Peter, Second and 3 John, and they don't have the book of Jude. And you say, how can we be united with them? Well, the answer is very simple look, we have a tradition and we have the scripture was given to us and it's always been this. They never had revelation. I doesn't make uh, They still believe in the word of God. And, they, and they, by the way, they're not saying revelation. They don't, they're not saying it's, it's wrong. They're just saying it's not in their scriptural canon. They regard it as where we're here. Pious books worthy of study and veneration, but not scripture. I doesn't make them. They're still our brothers and sisters. They have a different canon of the scripture. That's okay. We can still pray with them. We still in communion with them. How about this one? What would you say, I alluded to this earlier, about a church that their Christmas fast is 10 days? Ours is 43. Their fast of St. Mary is five days. Ours is 14. Their fast of the apostles is three days. Unless it starts on a Sunday, then it's only two days. (laughs) What would you say about these heathen? I would say these are our brothers and sisters in the Syrian Orthodox Church, which I believe after this announcement is gonna get a lot more membership, okay? <laughs> I believe they should, they're gonna open the floodgates after this one. <laughs> That's how they practice. Heretics, heathen, throw them out, no. Just because there's wrong ways, like it's wrong not to fast. It's wrong if they said, we don't believe in fasting. We said, no, we disagree with them. because Jesus spoke clearly about fasting. But they practice it 10 days, we practice it 43. They practice this five days. We practice it many, many, many more. We can discuss the benefits, okay? I look at it as they're missing out. That's what I would say. They're missing out on all the days of fasting. But the point is, that's okay. Like we can agree to disagree. We don't have to, we don't have to see it the same way. There can be unity without being uniformity. Another one time, there's a, the Indian Orthodox Church, okay, the Malankara, if anyone has ever been to one of those churches, we're in communion with them. Again, again, I've spoken at their conferences. And one time I was there and I was gonna attend the divine liturgy with them. We're in full communion. So we can pray together and I pray with them. And I'm a priest. I'm a priest. So like, this is like my job to pray liturgies. It's like in the description. It's like, be able to give a sermon, know how to pray a liturgy. That's all you need to know how to do. Take a confession here and there. That's it. So this is like my main thing. We are one with them. I show up at the liturgy. And I don't know what, I'm, I can't understand anything. They've given me books. They got screens. I'm like, what page? And they're like, you're holding it. I, I couldn't figure out anything. It was the most foreign experience of my life. But you know what? In the end, I took communion. Because our unity is not based on that we sing the same hymns. Our unity is not we speak the same language. I don't know what language they were speaking. I even asked at one point, what language out there? Like English. I'm like, really? That would, like, I, I, I couldn't follow anything. It's not that, that, that we know all the rights. The rights don't make us united. What makes us united, as Jesus said, I'm sorry, St. Paul said, for though we are many, for we though many are one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread. It's the Eucharist that unites us. It's the Eucharist that unites us. The prayers leading up to the Eucharist, you can say in this language, you can say in English, you can say in Spanish, you can say in, in this, you can say in that. The, pra- the language doesn't matter. The Eucharist may look different. The priest may dress different. The bread may look different, but it doesn't matter. What matters is what we believe is inside that bread that looks different. The matter is what, the matter, it doesn't matter what language we're speaking. It matters who we are speaking to, is what matters ultimately in the end. Let me say it another way. I'll say it this way. Would you agree with me on this that we don't need to see eye to eye to walk hand in hand? That's the goal, ladies and gentlemen. There it is. We don't need to see eye to eye to walk hand in hand. That's what unity is all about. We don't need to see eye to eye on every fast. We don't need to see eye to eye on every language. We don't need to see, we can disagree on public policy. We can disagree on who should be the president, who should not be the president. We can disagree on all those things. Our unity is much stronger than that. We can celebrate, you can celebrate Christmas on the 25th. I can celebrate on January 7th. We don't need to be uniform in order to be united because what unites us is so much better and greater and stronger than any of those things. And that, ladies and gentlemen, that's the heart of Jesus. My heart, I shouldn't say my heart. Sometimes I think to myself, the heart of Jesus breaks at some of the things that we allow to cause disunity between us. The heart of Jesus breaks at some of the things that we allow to cause disunity in the church. But the good news is you can do something about it. Because in the end, when Jesus prayed that they all be one, okay, we got that prayer right here. This was Jesus's prayer. John 17, 21, that they all be one as you father and me and I, and you that they also be one in us. that The world may believe that you sent me. You, ladies and gentlemen, can be an answer to Jesus' prayer. But how uncomfortable are you willing to be to get there? Are you willing to accept people as part of our church, as part of the church, even if you disagree with them? Are you willing to accept people who see the world differently than you? Are you, are you willing not just to accept them, but to embrace them and welcome them in? Are you willing to love even through the mess? And before you answer that question, may I remind you, that you are sitting here today because somebody answered yes to that question for you and your mess. I'm here today because when I was a mess, I'm still a mess in some ways. When I was a mess, there was someone out there who said, I'm willing to be patient with his mess, let him in the doors. I'm willing to embrace him, even though he got funny ideas, even though he walks to the left outside the stage. Somebody was willing to accept each one of us, and that's why we're here and my prayer and my hope is that we would be willing to do for someone else. I promise you, if it's your son or daughter that one day sees the world differently, you're going to pray that someone in the church accepts him. If it's your son or daughter who has the different views, you're going to pray that someone in the church says, we welcome you even though we don't agree with you. We welcome you. We embrace you. You have a home right here. You're going to be praying day and night. You're going to be calling priests like me day and night, praying, hoping, saying, please don't leave them. What is your answer to this question how uncomfortable are you willing to be if you say i'm willing to do whatever to answer jesus's prayer then i say on behalf of jesus thank you jesus says thank you thank you for answering my prayer you pray a lot you want jesus to answer your prayer this is jesus final prayer and may god allow us to be a church collective now may god allow us to be a church that answers the prayer of jesus that they be one even if they're not uniform let's stand together and pray In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for bringing us here this day and for accepting us. Your limitless acceptance for us, Lord, has brought us to this day and brought us to this place, and I pray that this home, that this church would always be a place that welcomes people with open arms the way you have done for us. Give us, Lord, to to be the answer to your final prayer and to put a smile on your face and a smile on your heart. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ with the prayers and intercessions of all your saints, here us as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the We hope today's message inspires you in your faith journey. And at the end of this episode, we invite you to take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel.